You're listening to Coming of Cage, a Nicolas Cage podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Coming of Cage podcast. I am your host, Derek, and I've got my co-host and partner in crime with me, Ryan. Hello. Hello, hello. And this is our second episode of 2023, episode 18 of the show, and we are talking about the 2000 Nicolas Cage film Gone in 60 Seconds where, quote, a retired master car thief must come back to the industry and steal 50 cars with his crew in one night to save his brother's life. Wow. Wow. Wow, indeed. Wow, indeed. The uh, the movie is directed by Dominic Cena, who also directed Nick Cage in um, Season of the Witch, which we have not gotten to yet on the show. And the movie was written by i uh, just had it where'd he go here he is scott rosenberg who also wrote con air so okay yeah a little bit of nick cage kind of connections there across these films this of course is a remake of the 1974 movie so yes there you is. go gone in 60 seconds ryan what's your history with this movie we don't have a history with all of nick cage films but no but i have a i have a history with several Nick Cage films. This one was just one that if you've heard me on the show, you probably heard me talk about the little TV VCR combo I had in my bedroom when I was like, I don't know, young. And uh, I had like, I don't know, over the years I gathered more, but I started with like three or five uh, VHSs and that slowly grew. And one of the, one of the VHSs I had was this movie and I watched it quite a bit. Um, so yeah, I have a, I have a connection with this movie and I haven't watched it really since, uh, I upgraded to a DVD player. So yeah, I hadn't seen it in quite a long time myself. Uh, this is one that you know, I'd seen before several times, you know, I would, would come across, you know, TNT or TBS or whatever back in the day, but oddly enough, like this hasn't gotten much of a re-release over the years and in, in various formats, there is a director's cut on DVD somewhere if you're able to find it um and it's not even streaming anywhere like as part of a service you have to rent it through you know amazon or voodoo or even youtube so i I thought that was odd considering this is like one of his bigger movies yeah that it was actually harder to get a hold of than a lot of his smaller stuff yeah it is a little weird i'm not quite sure what's going on with that but you know uh he didn't put it on 2b or freebie i guess so no well i guess not but uh, yeah, I mean, the movie also you know, co-stars Angelina Jolie, of course, as the only woman in the entire film. Uh, that's true. Yeah, that's accurate. <laughs> uh, Christopher Eccleston, Robert Duvall, Timothy Oliphant, uh, you know, Delroy Lindo, a few others, of course. It's kind of, kind of a large cast. Yeah, it does uh, have a stacked cast, for yeah. sure. It makes it even kind of weirder that like legitimately, like there's only two women in the whole movie. There's Angelina Jolie and then... Um, there nicholas cage's uh, mother character um i'm drawing a blank on her real name she actually was on seinfeld back in the day but well there was also uh robert duvall's wife who you see for like oh, yeah. a few scenes that doesn't really get much in the way of anything to do yeah you're right you're right 
So the way we normally do this, of course, is Ryan has taken notes and then we go through those notes as it takes us through the film. I do. Yeah. So right in the beginning, the intro, like the opening credits, which overall, my second note is that it's a great intro. But the first note is yikes, because there's a bunch of uh, this was in 2000. So Photoshop wasn't really a thing. So it's a bunch of like modified photos to look like Nick Cage growing up, like he's young and growing up and the people around him. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a really interesting intro to like kind of give you a familiarity with the characters um, and kind of know what their roles are as as time goes on through their uh, through Nick Cage growing up. But yeah, they did not look good. It was the best use of the Jerry Bruckheimer production intro with the the road in the desert. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's really the only movie that's worked well with, I think. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we get to hear uh, a guy give us... Tell, uh, this taught me what The Stranger was. Did you know what The Stranger was before this movie, Derek? You know, here's the thing. I, I, don't, I don't know. I forgot that it was in here. So maybe that's where I learned about it. I feel like it was a joke in something else too. It probably was, but I feel like the, for me, this was the earliest one that I, I remember seeing. So I feel like it was probably the intro for you. If you watch this around the time it came out. I, I think you're right. Like I think, cause I think the only other reference I'm aware of is in scrubs. Yeah. Uh, which would have been like eight years later or something. So, so, but basically this scene is like, uh, um, well, we haven't met Nicolas Cage's character, but this is a this is a character that's called Kip Rains that uh, and his crew um, all kind of planning a heist. And they talk about the stranger, which is a self-pleasuring technique. If you want more information, you can look it up. Um, I'm or sure don't. it's all over the Internet or don't. I mean, if you're curious um, and they're all planning on stealing this Porsche and they're given a, a like intersection where the Porsche is parked. And it turns out that it's in the dealership still like on one of those revolving things that don't most dealerships don't really have but it looks good and uh yeah they have to like they realize that it's in the dealership and kip reigns goes in there and throws a rock through the window and snags the keys and attempts to steal the car um i mean he does steal it he does steal it yeah he doesn't like successfully steal it eventually he gets caught but you know yeah, but that's like his own stupidity, right? Because like he get they're they're probably gonna get away with it, and then he has to like drag race some okay. dude on a date. Okay, that was my next note. It's a poor like a really in two thousand. This was a very expensive Porsche, right? Yeah, uh, it was it was like a high end car, and he rolls up to the stoplight against a Honda Civic. Mm-hmm. Like Which, not even by an the way, SI. It's not even consistent within the movie because later. There's a knock. They uh, what's his uh, the the detective Roland makes a knock against civics in the same movie. Yeah, but if you notice, they uh, don't have the emblem on the front of the Honda Civic. So I'm wondering if like maybe Honda wouldn't endorse the movie or something. But anyway, um, yeah, and and me and Derek are kind of car nerds. Um, so sorry if we get we're pro- I'll, i will probably get into the weeds on it a little bit but derek might be able to control me and reel me in but yeah i'm car nerds so if i'm nerding out over like car stuff it's not interesting at all i'm really sorry i don't Please. want that responsibility because while you know way more than i do i also like listening to you talk about it so. well hopefully other people do too because uh otherwise this is going to be really bad um so i can't remember exactly what characters talking they're talking about this porsche right and they right. talk about 
5.2 seconds, 0 to 60. And, okay, <laughs> just to touch on that, in the year 2000, that wasn't a horrible statistic. In the year 2023, that is a really terrible statistic. So, just for your own reference, uh, cars that can go faster than that, 0 to 60. Uh, 2017 Range, Range Rover. Really? Uh, a 2010 Lexus IS350. Uh, a Lincoln MKS EcoBoost. Uh, a Lincoln Navigator. What? Yeah, that's a, 2021 that's a big, that's a Lincoln Navigator. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you, there's there's some like cars on this list that you would probably laugh at uh, because you wouldn't think that they were. I'm not going to go through all of them. Um, Nissan 350Z, which nowadays is like a, you can pick one of those up for like ten thousand dollars. Back in the day, that Porsche was like a lot more expensive than that. Um, the yeah, do you know Subaru which BRZ, which is really slow, and people make fun of yeah. for being really slow, but is a uh, that exact same zero sixty. So I do wonder which Porsche it was because there's like so we've got the list of the fifty cars, and there's several Porsches on it. To be honest, I am not interested at all in Porsches, so I couldn't begin to tell you. It's just hard because like like I know that they, I know that there are differences visually, but they all do look so freaking similar. Yeah, they're very similar. And in this movie, like they're all within a year or so of each other, right? 1997 to 2000. And there's like five Porsches that they get within that year range. They all look exactly the same. To me. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> uh, so then we get to see Timothy Oliphant and this has got to be like one of his first movies. I didn't look at his IMDb, but he is so young in this movie. It's jarring. Yeah, he was young. I guess I didn't really think too much about it. Uh, now I'm all curious. Let's see. Actor. Uh, let's, let's scroll. I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling. No, it's not. No, he had done. He had done tons of stuff before. Patty? This. Yeah, because like he had been. He had done. Um, you know, Scream Two. He had been on uh, Sex in the City already, and then he did Gone in sixty seconds. Was definitely like a bigger movie compared to his previous stuff, but he was in like a dozen things before that. Mostly okay. TV. Fair enough. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't think he probably had much in the way of leading roles before that, no, but no. Um, this was a big like blockbuster movie at the time. So it was probably one of his biggest roles um, or probably one that kind of kickstarted his career, but maybe not. I don't know. Um, one of the, the, I think this is the first quote. Because you know, some of these sometimes I like to really pick apart the writing and pick good good quotes from the movie. I think I have several in this notebook, but we'll find out as we go. But the first one is like stains on a mattress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody says that I think that oh, so right before this, we get introduced to uh Nick Cage's character, who is Randall Memphis Reigns, the brother of Kip Reigns. Right. Yeah, it's a little confusing because like half the people call him Memphis and like one cop calls him Randall. Yeah, but the detective calls him Brains because it sounds like Riggs. Yeah, I'm sure that's why. <laughs> um, and he is blonde in this movie. I, I feel like that's important to point out. And it looks wonderful. I love it. He does like, look good. He looks pretty good in this movie, especially like after you know, he gets the jacket back. And oh, everything, yeah. You know? Yeah. Low rider. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so. I can't remember who says that. I thought it was somebody saying that to, uh, oh, it was somebody. Okay. So the main cop 
uh, Roland Castlebeck. Uh, he's he hears that there's a bit of they, there's basically they steal the Porsche, the brother does, and they get caught with all these stolen cars. And uh, the guy that hired him to steal the cars is pissed off about it, essentially. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Memphis hears that his brother's in trouble. So he comes back to town because apparently he lives out of town now. Mm-hmm. And uh, the cops hear that he's in town like a day after all these cars are found. And he was a notorious drug or not drug. He was a notorious car thief. So I do have the a best ever. Bit, I have apparently. a little bit of a problem with that. Okay, because the way it goes down is that Memphis goes to the diner that his mother works at to go and talk to her about Kip. And just like a couple of rando cops are just sitting eating lunch at this diner and they recognize a car thief who's been gone for six years and I, I guess was never actually caught and convicted. But somehow they can catch this guy randomly on just a day in the diner enough to call the detective who like oversees grand theft auto that felt like a little bit of a stretch to me i think it maybe is a little bit of a stretch but i I think it was just meant to show that how notorious of a car thief he was that like literally every cop knew who he was yeah and i just and there's there's way worse problems than that with this movie (laughs) but uh you know it just felt like this one I mean, because it's two, it's two thousand, right? So like, there's no smartphones or social media really, or anything like that. So it's like, how would they really know? I don't know. Just, there's a lot of cops in LA. It just feels, it just felt un- unlikely. I think the odds were better that Roland happened to stroll into the diner and just bump into him. I feel like that would have been better for me. Nah, I didn't really care that much. It wasn't really a problem for me. Okay. I, I like I said, it for me, it just felt like it was just that notorious of, of a car thief. He's the best. They the guy said that uh, Grand Theft Auto went down like sixty percent after he left. So that tells me that he would be extremely notorious. So like every cop would be wanting to catch this guy. So that I assume that's why. But yeah, so so when he leaves the diner. Uh, the cops like just want to have a conversation, an extremely intimidating conversation with him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like cops in this time period do in movies. And uh, yeah, they basically say they're gonna be. Somebody says that they're gonna be all over him, and then the other cop says like stains on a mattress. Yep. And it was just a disgusting line. Why would? I don't so know. so here's the thing. This is where it sparked in my mind how weirdly coincidental it is that we're talking about this movie directly after stolen because they're kind of like mirror images of each other from a narrative perspective both of them have a nicholas cage who's basically a criminal who's coming back into the world okay and the cops are the like the almost the first people he meets they're really rude and vulgar to him even though he's mining, seemingly minding his own business at, at this particular point. And then the two, the two Nick Cages have a choice to make. Go to the cops for help or do it on their own. And in Stolen, he tries to go to the cops. And in Gone 60 Seconds, he just goes in on his own. And I think it's a really weird, coincidental parallel between these two movies that we watch them back to back. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's going to be... Uh... Like I think it's going to be a common theme between a lot of the movies because even like Dog Eat Dog, he was a, a criminal that like I don't know. I guess he didn't really try and work with the cops in that one. No, he's bad the whole way through. And he one. plays a criminal and everything. So a you lot know. of the time. 
But this, I, I assume that half of them will be retired by the time we get through all those movies. So I don't I think, think that's going to be a super unique thing. Okay, fair enough. I, um, it was just an interesting thing I noticed. So yeah, actually, I don't think we get we know that that his name is Memphis Reigns at this point because we only hear him referred to as Randall. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, but uh, so he comes into town and he's trying to figure out who his brother, uh, you know, was dealing with what what's going on. Um, and then we get like one of his old friends showing up that it turns out is working for the guy that hired his brother and that they want, he wants to talk to him. Right. The guy from Armageddon. Yes. He knows. Yes. That guy from Armageddon. (laughs) And he, he knows that, uh, the, the bad guy that we haven't met yet knows that Memphis Reigns is this notorious criminal, blah, blah, blah. Cause everybody knows who he is. He's a, he's a celebrity. And so he goes to the steel plant. And my one thing that I noticed as an adult that I didn't really notice or care about as a kid is that OSHA really needs to go to this steel plant because (laughs) there's like random fireballs blasting all over the place for no reason. Um, So that's my next note was random fireballs because there's as they're walking in, there's just fireballs like in the middle of a pile of cars or like steel or something for no reason. Um, And then I think this is the point where we find out his name is Memphis because somebody refers to it as Memphis Reigns. And I think it's uh, the carpenter. Yes. The bad guy. Yeah. Eccleston's character. Raymond Kalitri. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Boy, so. We get up to a lot of shenanigans in this movie. This movie There's has a lot, a lot of shenanigans. shenanigans. A lot of sh- heavy on the shenanigans. Yeah. Um. So yeah, my next note was Memphis Reigns because that's like such a cool name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. And then yeah. So one thing, even as a young man watching this movie, that has always bothered me about this movie, and I don't know, I've not seen uh the actor that plays Raymond Kalitri and other things mu- much, if ever. I don't know. I'm not very familiar with him. In this movie, I don't know if it's his choice or just his natural thing, but he emphasizes everything he says with his mouth. His mouth, like he over, he moves his mouth too much for what he's saying. Did that not bother you? You didn't get that? Um, He opens his mouth really wide and like really like goes for every (laughs) single syllable. I, it didn't bother me. I, I mean, I'm aware of it, but supposedly that's his real accent. So most people would probably know him um, from, I think, Doctor Who, which is why you and I probably. are not, you know, particularly well versed. But supposedly his accent, the way he talks in Gone in sixty Seconds, is just his natural speaking. So that's the way he actually moves his mouth when he speaks. Supposedly, according mm, to could, IMDb, I could not be his friend. <laughs> well, um, you know, I don't know if he'd want to be your friend after that. He would not be. But he's a beautiful um, carpenter, isn't he? He, I don't know. You don't really get a good look at his wood. He just like talks about it. Well, he makes that coffin. He, allegedly, we office. didn't see him make it. We don't know. Well, it seems like a weird thing to lie about. <laughs> well, when you're a criminal and you have enough money to pay people off, you can do whatever you want. Well, by the end of the movie, like talking about the shenanigans and everything, like he's very protective over those chairs. Okay, yeah. It does get a little weird later. He's talking about how like soft wood is and metal is like hard and cold and it's like yeah okay i mean yes that's true he's kind of an annoying character because like yeah he's the bad guy and all but like he's also his he's the reason that they're stealing the cars if he doesn't like cars then don't sell cars right right if you hate the country so much like he came here leave he he legally came here legally 
after being a criminal in another country. So like, if you hate it here, go some, like he, he didn't have to come here. Like it just, he just complains a lot for the he guy does. who's in charge of everything. <laughs> so after, after this conversation, they're like walking out into the middle of the junkyard and Memphis just keeps like asking where his brother's at, where's his brother. And at one point I get, well, before they start walking in the yard, he says that he fronted, they said they fronted his brother $10,000, which seems mm-hmm. like a really low amount of money for stealing 50 cars. But uh, so Nicholas Cage hands him 10 grand and says, your debt's paid. I understand. And then he just like throws the money back at him and he says he wants breaks, you to, by the way, Nick Cage almost broke. Yeah. You can kind of see it. Yeah. Well, he gets the money thrown at him and, uh, and in, instead of the money, the guy wants the favors, of course, right? Because that's how people like this work. He wants him to go get these cars. And in order to entice him to do so, he walks him out of the yard where there's more fireballs out of nowhere, but it's darker now. So they really show up. And uh, his brother is in handcuffed to a car steering wheel in like a car crushing machine that moves really slow. Mm-hmm. And he starts crushing his brother in the car crushing machine until he agrees to do it. Nick Cage starts punching people and pointing a gun at him and everything else. And eventually he agrees. And his brother's alive. Mm-hmm. And they go back to his brother's house where his brother makes some breakfast. Really bad breakfast. Really bad breakfast. Spills salt all over it. Kip is just it. so incompetent throughout the entire movie. Kip is incompetent. And he sets the kitchen on fire. Um, but it was a good character moment for Nick Cage's character because you see him kind of just like slowly walk over while Kip is freaking out about it and pour some like baking soda on the fire and put it out. Mm-hmm. He tries um, the food, pretends it's nice. Yeah. Uh, that's my next note, actually, is Nick is so wholesome in this movie. It was, uh, it was, you know, yes, he's a thief and a criminal. But the way he treats the people around him is very wholesome the way he treats his mother the way he takes care of his brother when you learn like he left all of this behind at his mother's request to protect his brother right you know and what does he end up doing with his life when he goes straight he ends up running little go-kart tracks for kids and having a repair shop yeah yeah like he's you know underneath it all like yeah is his passion something that's against the law yeah but he's not like mean to people he's not rude he's not brutal he's just like he steals cars usually when like, when people aren't around right you know he's not trying to have confrontations he just likes to steal and drive cars that's his that's his thing um it's an, it's an interesting take because in so many of his movies we talk about how like he's a bad person but everyone around him is so much worse it makes him look like the good guy when in this case like he's not a bad human being He's trying to be a good person. He's trying to be a better person. And bad people keep kind of bringing him back. Right. That's true. Um, so, yeah, I like that in this one. Because in all those other movies, it's kind of some level of jerk. Right. But in this one, there really aren't much in the way of jerky moments for him. At least not oh. like towards the people he cares about. Maybe towards the cops, there's some jerkiness. But even I, then, he treats them with respect most of the time. Yeah, he's even polite to them. Like, now maybe there's a little air of cockiness there because, you know, he's never really been caught. And he knows that. And they've got this cat and mouse that he really enjoys. But he's not, he's not like openly disrespectful to them. He's not egging them on. He's not trying to bait them or anything like that. Yeah, that's true. Um, my next note is that, uh, the actor that plays the cop, uh, Delroy Lindo. Yeah. He's really good, man. 
Yes. I wish I saw him in more stuff. I knew him from uh, the same year, I think, or right around the same time. Um, there was a Jet Li movie that came out called Romeo Must Die. Oh, uh, sure. And I'm, I don't know if I brought this up on the podcast before, but I'm I'm a big uh, martial arts like uh, you know that kind of movie fan. And so Romeo Must Die was another one that I watched a lot growing up, and I really liked. I had Aaliyah in it, and uh, it was like a Romeo and Juliet story with Jet Li and Aaliyah um jet lee was in the one too right he was yeah Yeah, he's in that too yeah that was another one yeah, yeah. he's um, been in a bunch of stuff i mean i'm sure you've seen him in, in lots of other things um, probably he just like i feel like i don't see him in big stuff very often he really is a good like those movies that i mentioned and the one that you mentioned are really he's really good he's really believable like he's mm-hmm. a good actor and i feel like he should be doing has some heavier roles but unfortunately i haven't really seen him much yeah in I mean, those roles lately not so much i mean he was in the remake of point break um yeah so people might have seen in that he's done some voice work i mean his big stuff's older like he was in the core you know and he you know he did gone in 60 seconds of course um he was in broken arrow and he was in malcolm x and congo and get shorty so the 90s were kind of like his heyday so to speak right you know, when he was younger. So, so at this point in the movie, um, he's gonna, he's calling all his, or he goes to visit, uh, Robert Duvall's character mm-hmm. who was like kind of a mentor to him. I got the vibe when they were like working together to steal cars, they had like a crew. And so he starts calling all these people, uh, from the old crew, trying to get him to come back. Um, and one of the guys is a teach is a driving instructor God, at the so at the funny. pleasure cruise driving school, which I thought that was my next note. I thought that was a funny name for a driving school. Uh, well, so so backing up to autos real quick though, this is another example of showing how like Memphis is trying to be a good person. He's trying to because he shows up to autos, and Otto used to run a chop shop. He doesn't anymore. It's all restoration. It's gone now. straight. Yeah, exactly. And as soon as Memphis realizes that, he's like it was a mistake for me to come here. I don't want to mess up what you have now. You know, like he didn't know that things had changed. And once he learned, he was like, no, I'm not going to drag you into this kind of thing. Like he's really trying to do the right thing. Yeah. He's really stuck between like, he doesn't want to ruin these people's lives, but also he doesn't want his brother to die. Right. Or, you know, his mom was threatened too, you know, and like, yeah, it's a bad, it's a really bad situation and he's just trying to do the right thing. For sure um and Otto has a cute dog like a big old drooly guy chewing on license plates how many of your dogs eat metal uh I don't give them metal to eat <laughs> so and I well the way you said all your dogs for the record I have two dogs not like oh I don't have like a whole menagerie of well dogs. you've had dogs over the years that's though, true that's true, that's true. So yeah but none of them have really chewed on I don't give them license plates in general or car keys or car keys, yeah, but we ha- we haven't got to that part. No spoilers, Derek. <laughs> sorry, sorry, my bad. <laughs> um, and then we we get our intro introduction introduction to a few of his people. Um, one of which is Vinny Jones mm-hmm. as the Sphinx. And so as soon as he came on screen, the first thing that came to my mind was, "I'm the Juggernaut, bitch." <laughs> and so that was my next note. A very different role from yes. from Gone in sixty seconds. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, not that different, really, except that he talks more as the Juggernaut. He does. He does. But yes. that's the only difference, really. They're basically the same person. Oh, God. Um, and we get our introduction to uh, Sway, mm-hmm. who is 
Angelina Jolie's character, mm-hmm. um, drinking from a gas can, which okay, like I <laughs> I work on cars for a living, and I'll tell you that nobody in my shop drinks out of a gas can. Like that's maybe like a little too movie of a thing. It was really trying to drive the point home that she's a gearhead. They really wanted you to look at her and go, "Whoa, gearhead!" She maybe rolls she out on a crank gasoline. Did you ever think of that? Could be, could be. She she's like under a car when we see her, and she's like working on a creeper, and she like slides out on the creeper to go to her second job where she's a bartender. Apparently, um, yeah. My next note is you're healed. I don't know. Oh, that was that was Nick Cage's line. Well, who does he say that to? He says he's, it to Sway. Does he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's like, you're healed. Like they're talking about how each other how each other look at this point, and she mentions that he looks like he's a Bible salesman or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. just I remember even as a kid, I loved that line. It was just <laughs> such a funny like his delivery is so good it feels um, ad-libbed and i know he doesn't do that a ton but it feels ad it did feel ad-libbed yeah. and and uh that that's going to be exhibit a for when we're talking about cage score later because Ooh, okay okay well, we have to remember these things when we're rating cage yeah. no, you're right. right you're right um okay so but sway's uh, gone straight too right she's a legitimate mechanic she's a bartender you know, yes she, she's not stealing cars either like he kind of slowly learns that like his whole crew they've all gone straight since he's left and she specializes in Italian cars, which seems like it's going to be an important thing later in the movie. And I guess there's like one point when it's kind of kind I mean, of she important. She does mostly steal like Lamborghinis and Ferraris. Right. But I mean, when you go into her shop, it's all like Italian cars. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's established at this point that it's uh, that she's like an Italian car person, which isn't as important later in the movie as it leads you to believe. But um, yeah. OK, so then we get him coming nick cage's character memphis coming out of the bar and he gets approached by some thugs i forget the dude's name i'm I'm trying to find it in here but basically it's like another group of carjack guys that were supposed to be doing the 50 cars but kip got the job instead of them right and now memphis is doing it and supposedly that he's you know coming in on their territory again or whatever and so they want to beat up Nick Cage. They do. Yeah. And so Sphinx shows up right at this moment, uh, puts a Molotov cocktail. Well, it doesn't put a Molotov cocktail. It basically lights a rag on fire, turns a car into a giant Molotov cocktail, puts the puts the rag in the gas tank, lights it on fire and blows it up of the of the guys that are attacking Memphis. And he, three cars. Yeah. And he like beats the shit out of them. And one of them, he just like grabs their nuts and squishes them. Yeah. Uh-huh. Which was an interesting, you don't really see that in action movies these days. Um, but yeah. So but that I mean, was... come on, like talking about let's a little too movie. I can get past her using a gasoline can for her water jug, but like the dude, like it just blows up three cars as if they had bombs in them. Well, gasoline is flammable, Derek. Not like that. <laughs> The car well, would catch on fire. Yeah, sure. It's a movie, Derek. <laughs> um, so we get, I don't remember who he's talking to, but there's a moment when he's talking about like how driving cars makes it made him feel when he was a kid mm-hmm. or when he was younger and he started doing it. And he talks about how like, you know, rolling the windows down and just feel being one with the car made him feel better no matter what the situation was. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that I liked that. It was somewhat relevant to me. So I, I don't know. That that resonated with me more as an adult than as a kid because I wasn't really driving cars. 
but it's it's a nice little monologue you know it's, it shows a little bit more of depth to the character it shows some like softness and sensitivity to it right because like they're really trying to paint him as like yes he was doing illegal stuff but he's not like just any criminal right right yeah he's you know he's a he's a deeper more sophisticated person than his criminal record would reflect right um so then we start to see the list they start putting together the list figuring out all the cars naming them women's names things like that Mm -hmm. and the toyota super turbo on the list caught my eye because that's one of my favorite cars um and not necessarily one that would have been in 2000 that desirable they didn't really pick up popularity until a few years later um they were just expensive in 2000 but um yeah so we see the list and when we get my favorite scene in the whole movie the Ferrari dealership, Nick Cage. Oh, God. Which is another example of for our uh, Cage Factor later. Two Rogers don't make a right. That's the line I have in here. It's so <laughs> ridiculous and terrible, but hilarious. No, it's wonderful. It's so good because, like, he just turns on this, this corny charm that totally catches the salesman off guard, disarms them, you know, and it's just, uh, it's such a good scene. I love that scene. Yeah, and he's talking about like getting how how he saw four of these cars in the in the front of the club the other day, and so that they have their their pompous assholes with too much money or something along those lines. And he starts talking about this very specific like 1960s Ferrari that he could buy, and it wouldn't make him a pompous asshole or whatever. It would make him a man of exquisite taste, and champagne would fall from the skies. <laughs> and, you know, he does this thing with his hands. It's wonderful. But I'm pretty sure most car dealerships don't keep, like, a stock of their cars from the 60s and 70s just in case they get somebody in there to buy one. Because he's like, oh, I can get it from the warehouse in a few days. Oh. I didn't okay. take it like they kept those just, like, randomly i kept i took it more as like at some point somebody upgraded their ferrari to a newer one you know and they just the dealership's like i'm just gonna keep this 1960s ferrari for 40 years i mean i guess it depends right like if some of these older ones get you know they're worth millions of dollars they are now oh i mean in 2000 they were not a 1967 ferrari was not worth a million bucks in 2000 no absolutely not the most expensive car to ever sell at auction at that point was like six, not 60,000. It was like, it, it was not, it was less than a million dollars. I'm pretty sure cars didn't start going for crazy, insane amounts of money at auction, like millions of dollars for a long time after that. Mm, okay. Okay. I'll, I'll take your word for it. But like, but I, I just don't think this that movie, it, this movie is kind of weird with the cars though. Right. Like we were talking off mic about the list. The list has some weird stuff on it yeah right like it's like they struggled to fill out the 50 cars right like yeah you got you've got the supra you've got the 67 ferrari but you also have like a 99 lincoln navigator right (laughs) that's on the list which you know (laughs) as a car guy i would just assume that this is like a very custom lincoln navigator with like you know custom everything but none of the cars no are super heavily modified or anything but here's the thing there's no way there's no way for that logic to follow for the characters because they just have a list of that's true they just find them make and trim that's it and they just have to find examples of it right like one of them like where was it there was one that was just like yeah yeah a 99 escalade that's it it just says cadillac escalade yeah right there's not there we don't know that there's anything you know 
outside of the norm about that. But then of course there's, you know, a couple of, uh, you know, Aston Martins on the list too. Like it's sure. a very weird list. Of cars. It is. It is. <laughs> the other part of this scene, well, I, I love everything in this scene, but something that came to mind now that I've, I know more about cars than I did back then is that this dealership, this, th- what they show in, in this movie is not how Ferrari dealerships work. Okay. Kind of notoriously in the car world, if you're Elon Musk and have billions and billions of dollars, you can't go to a Ferrari dealership and just buy whatever Ferrari you want. That's not how it works. You can buy this one Ferrari, which is like the base level, entry level Ferrari. And until you've owned that Ferrari for a couple of years, maybe bought a couple other Ferraris after that, that it's like a membership program, essentially, where like, if they come out with the Enzo Ferrari and it costs $1.5 million, not just anybody can go buy that. They're going to they're gonna offer that to the people that are like Ferrari's most loyal customers. And even if you decide to sell that car, then they can't stop you from selling it, but they're going to try and get that car back. Like there's notoriously been people that have put like a, a vinyl wrap on their car, which is very popular. These right. days. You can change the color of the car, things like that. Well, Ferrari sees it and sends them like a cease and desist letter to not do that with their cars. And they don't have really legal grounds for stopping that. Right. But it doesn't stop them from trying because they have a very specific image that they try and cultivate with their cars. But and that that's does part su- of it. That does kind of support the warehouse concept, though, that they always try and get their cars back and they can't just keep them all. Sure, but it doesn't support the fact that this guy could come and pretend to be a millionaire and get one from the warehouse without any trouble. Yeah. I mean, that, you know that, what I mean? That's fair, and and that's that's really really well, nitpicky. That's like really in the weeds, but I just maybe because it it's funny. used, maybe because it's a used. It one? Doesn't matter. No, okay, no, yeah, doesn't matter. Uh, I but yeah, like I said, that's in the weeds. But yeah, for me, it was funny. I uh, you can't do that nowadays. I don't. Even, I don't think you could do that then either. But that's kind of Ferrari's kind of notoriously been that way for a long time. Mm. Um, so then we meet Eleanor for the mm. first time. And I think now is a good time to just go ahead and bring up something because Eleanor is a 67 Shelby Mustang GT500. I think I have the year right. I'm not really a big yeah, Mustang guy. So you're right. You know, it's one um, of my favorite cars personally. I'm it's always, a beautiful car. Um, I am not a Mustang guy, but seeing yeah. that car in this movie was just, I mean, it is a gorgeous piece of machinery. I'm and a I, 60s Mustang guy. <laughs> That's the <laughs> well, it's funny because I think in the original movie it was a 73, not a 67. Oh, that's interesting. But I definitely prefer the the 67. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Um, so after this movie came out, you know, like whenever you get a ca- a car that's very iconic in a movie, you get people wanting to build that car, do tributes to that car. You know, you see sure. uh, people building Ghostbusters cars and DeLoreans and A-team vans and all these other things. Um, and this car is no exception. I mean, especially because this one is not like, it's not a typical movie car. If you just saw it on the street, you didn't know the movie, you just think that's a really pretty car. Right. That's just, that's a cool muscle car. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so I don't know all the specifics of this, but I know that the company that owns or the person that owns the Gone in 60 Seconds license is very notorious for uh, lawsuits and things like that around the usage of the Eleanor moniker. So there is a famous, uh, well, famous in the car world, I should say, um, channel called B for Builds, I think is what it's called, um, where they were building 
basically an Eleanor. They took a 2015 Mustang and they basically tried to put the body of a 1967 Mustang that looked like Eleanor on it. Interesting. Um, and he called it Eleanor in some YouTube videos. And he actually got the car confiscated after lawsuits, I believe. He, yeah, he, he declared in a video that it is now property of gone in 60 seconds. Um, there's been a couple of shops that have been licensed to build Eleanor replicas. And there's some of those floating around, but if you are monetizing that name at all, like this, this person was had a monetized YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. And so they were making money calling the car Eleanor. And that's where the problem was. So if you're just like a guy in your garage building a Mustang, that looks like this calling it Eleanor and you're not profiting off of it, you're probably okay. But if you're profiting off of it in any way, it, they are very litigation happy. Actually, I think it went into uh, open domain or whatever that's called uh, when you Pu- can use domain. it. Public domain. Like in the last year. That's interesting. That's um, kind of a short turnaround, but that, that is interesting. I, th- um, I read something about that. I, I don't know everything about this, but I did think in the car world, it's kind of a well-known uh, thing that you don't call your project car Eleanor. Man, you know, that that just comes off so bitter. You know, like, I, I just, I can't imagine that happening in any other context, you know, like, yeah, I mean, I guess you know, I, I didn't watch any of those videos or anything like that. Maybe the guy was really just trying to, you know, steal somebody's IP. Like that's, that is the thing I can't, I guess I can't say, but yeah, that's messed up. That is messed yeah. up. Yeah. So I, I'm a little it, surprised just... that that functionally works that you can put a 67 body on a 2015 but (laughs) yes so um it was actually in december of 2022 so very recently oh that there was a judgment that a reversed an earlier decision saying that the vehicle a vehicle could not be copyrighted as an ip oh so So, it's been reversed yes so now you can build an eleanor mustang but you couldn't before so yeah in the last month well, we're recording this in January 23. I'm not sure when this comes out. But yeah, it's uh, it's been reversed in the last month. So um, that's interesting. Anyway, that's kind of a tangent to the movie. But I just thought it was an interesting fact that came about from this movie. No, it is. It is interesting, right? Because like this is one of, one of the few movies of his that we've watched that, you know, has kind of a, a larger following and there's a lot of like tactile real world things in it. Like these are these are all real cars. Yeah, some of them are certainly outside the realm of, of the two of us, you know, in our right. lifetimes. Right. But like, you know, if you wanted a Mustang, yeah, that's a realistic car to get, you know? Yeah. Well, it was um, at one point, not anymore, really. Well, I don't know. I think you could still probably not a 67. I mean, maybe not a 67. Exactly. No, we're but... kind of getting into the weeds here on this, yeah, but yeah, yeah. um, so then there's like a chase scene. I don't remember the context exactly. But somebody jumps a fence and lands in front of a doghouse that has beast written on it. (laughs) And it's like a tiny dachshund that comes out. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, that's the second time this other group jumps him. And he, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The the like the gangsters or what thugs or whatever they were. The other the other uh carjackers. Yeah, the other thieves. They do this whole foot chase through this neighborhood. Um 
And oh yeah, and then they end up in a diner. That's right. Right, which is just a great scene. They're sitting in the window, like ah, yeah. My next it? note is just diner scene because I love that scene. He's like bullshitting with this uh, trucker guy to, to like try and distract him so that his uh, brother can go wrap the uh, wrap this like tow chain around the axle of this guy's car mm-hmm. and uh, rip it out when he takes off. So it's because all these guys follow him. They're just sitting in this car with guns loaded and waiting for him to leave. But there's some police in the diner, mm-hmm. so they don't just go in. But when this truck takes off and pulls like the car apart, the police obviously notice that and run out there and ask them if they have licenses for these firearms. And those boys, they they all get busted. Yes, they get busted, and we don't see them again for the rest of the movie. No, never. We don't. We don't see them again. It's a. It is a funny moment though when he's talking to the truck driver and everything, and he's like, "So how do you how do you get a job like that? What do you have to do?" Yeah, you need a license. School. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. So then we get this scene with this guy. It was introduced late earlier in the movie. Is one of Kip's sidekick guys, whatever one of his one of his crew, and he's introduced as the guy that can order really good pizza or something like that. So he's right. kind of desperate to prove himself through this whole movie. Anyway, so he goes out and steals a car, and apparently this car was just sitting in like a bad neighborhood with the keys in it, and he doesn't find that suspicious at all. So he drives this car to Otto's shop, and they find out that it's full of drugs. Mm-hmm. Heroin, heroin, yeah. And so, uh, right at this time, conveniently, the detective shows up to Otto's shop and uh, starts like questioning him. But the thing, it's an '83 Cadillac Eldorado that they <laughs> that they stole. And this guy's like, "Who restores an '83 Cadillac Eldorado? Are you kidding? Like, he does not buy this for a minute." Well, it's got you know sentimental value, right? That's what Otto says. <laughs> but like this, I love this detective because he is not—he's not. Nobody's fooling him. Like he knows nobody really. Like in two thousand, yeah. And there's a difference between now because it's been another twenty years. So that's a forty-year-old car now. But, but I do love that the detective, like, he knows his cars, right? Like, yeah, he's in charge yeah. of like the Grand Theft Auto stuff and everything. And maybe that's just the way those guys are. I don't know. But this dude knows his stuff, right? And so, you know, it just to so for context, this movie came out in 2000 and that car was an 83. So it was a 17 year old car mm-hmm. where so like now that would be the equivalent of like uh, early 2000s Chevy Cavalier. So maybe maybe like, you know, or, or, or like a Dodge Neon or something <laughs> right. like, you know, in, in 2000, that was not a desirable car because right. it wasn't a classic. But now it's considered a classic. So it's more, you know, it's a big, nowadays we'll watch that movie and go. People would restore that all day. Are you kidding me? But, you know, <laughs> nowadays that would be like restoring like an old Dodge Neon. You know, like nobody, mm-hmm. it's not desirable. Nobody really cares. Now in uh, 2043, maybe that Dodge Neon will be worth some money. I don't sure, know. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. But I'm not telling, I'm not speculating on the used car market for the next 20 years. But <laughs> uh, I'm just saying for context, that's what it, it may seem weird that the guy's so skeptical of that car. But yeah. Um, so then, we see that, well, I don't, there's probably some other stuff that happens, but the next note is about the Elvis fingerprints. So oh, the guy wants yeah. to wear gloves going out to boost cars. And this this tech guy is like, I got your stuff right here. And he's like, put these on your fingers. And it's like silicone fingers. And he says, you, now you have Elvis's fingerprints. I'm like, how did they get Elvis's fingerprints? You know what I mean? I like, do they, is there just a database of famous people's fingerprints that's easily accessible for people here here's here's the thing 
the whole bit makes no sense because they're stealing cars. They don't need, it's not like they're doing fingerprint readers or something like that. Why, why do they have fake fingerprints at all? Yeah. Because they're not going to be dusting the cars for fingerprints. Cause guess what? The cars are stolen. Well, but, but even, even if, even if they were totally clean cars that never been touched by another human being, somehow they steal them off the factory assembly line. Okay. Why not just put blanks on the fingertips? Exactly. Why does it need fingerprints? <laughs> Why does it need to be not just fingerprints, but Elvis's fingerprints? Because apparently they really want to confuse the police officers. But I'm pretty sure like if you ran the prints and put them in a database, it wouldn't pop up and say Elvis. Like I'm no. really sh- even in 2000, in I'm pretty 2000. sure they just didn't have Elvis's fingerprints like you know ready to roll. Anyway, it, it, it doesn't make any sense because like no, the but dude's it was gonna funny. wear gloves. Like just wear gloves. Like it, it yeah, was it's funny. silly. Yeah. So then we get like the start of the actual heist, and apparently the tradition before the heist for for the Nick Cage's crew, Kip or, or uh, Memphis Reigns, is to listen to Lowrider for like eighteen seconds, <laughs> and then go. Oh, and he has to have his leather jacket on. Yes, he has to. Yes. So those are the two requirements of starting a starting a job with Memphis Reigns' crew. Um. Yeah. Okay. So this next scene is going to get into the car weeds a little bit. So I'm sorry about that in advance if you don't care about cars. But the first like place they go to make their big heist is a like warehouse full of Italian cars, Ferraris, and things like yeah, that. Yeah, I figured it was that dealership's warehouse. It could be. Yeah. And so uh, you know, Sway being the Italian person, they make basically make it a big deal. They have her come over to this car. She's like, he, the, the guy's like, okay, work your magic, Sway. And it literally just shows her connecting the battery cables and jump-starting the car. Which, if you know literally anything about cars, jump-starting a car is not magic. It's, in fact, the opposite of magic. It's one of the easiest things that to do on a car. And it, she, she that's all she does. It's not like she, like, adjusts the carburetors and, you know, jibbies the starter to get it to go. Like, she just jump-starts them with, like, a portable jump-starter. Mm-hmm. All of them. But they need her to do that because she's the specialist. Maybe they require a special they voltage? Don't. I don't know, they man. Don't. I don't me. know. No, they made a no big car deal out of it. Every know. car runs on basically the same voltage, so that doesn't mean anything. I know, but I know. Yeah, it was just funny to me as a car guy. Probably not as funny to anybody else, but whatever. And then we <laughs> see the doctor from Scrubs. Yeah, we do! Big Bobby Kelso! Yeah, Dr. Kelso from Scrubs. He gets his car stolen. That was funny. Um, they do actually legitimately do like a car thing at one point. I don't remember which car it was, but it shows them jumping a starter solenoid, which is something you could do on older cars where you could take like a screwdriver and cross the two terminals on the starter solenoid and it would try and it would basically crank the car. I had to do that. I had an 83 Datsun that uh, had some issues that I was restoring and it, uh, it, I had to do that. My dad showed me that trick. So that's pretty funny. Thanks, dad. Um, um, I, I do want to say just real quick, they're going back to Bob Kelso's car. Oh, my how, God. How the, did I know you were going to go back to Kelso? It has nothing to do with the, the actor. It has to do with how they steal the car. So the, a valet, one of them poses as a valet to steal the car as it's being dropped off. How did they know that that was going to happen? They have to steal specific models, right? They have a specific list of cars. How did they know? That, that because they have a list, they have a list of owners, and they've been casing them for eighteen hours. So obviously, <laughs> they know exactly where he's going to be. 
right. Yeah, totally. I, I just found that really unbelievable. Yeah. And then we find out that, okay, so the, at one point earlier in the movie, they talk about these Mercedes with laser cut keys, which nowadays is kind of silly, but um, <laughs> they have to get, they have to like, Mercedes has to order these keys from, from Germany, their headquarters apparently. in Germany. Um, directly. Which somehow like not only overnights them, but gets them in like six hours. <laughs> yeah, it's very impressive. But they, <laughs> so they found the one of uh, Kip's crew found a guy that was a little, that was dirty that worked at the Mercedes dealership and just happened to be the guy in charge of the keys and uh, had been paying him for these keys. And the cops also find this out. And so they tell the guy, well, call us if this guy comes back. And so the guy comes back, buys the keys, and then the cops now know they're going after this car. And so they start staking out this car and they see Memphis come up and take a picture of it at one point. And then the knight comes to Memphis actually trying to steal it. And he notices that the van has moved two driveways closer to the car, which is a very baller move on his part. I mean, oh yeah. It's a that great just shows moment. you how good he is. It's such a great, he's walking up to the car. He's got the key out. He's going to put it in. He's going to get busted. And he walks yeah. away. And then you hear the ladies are dirty. The ladies are dirty. <laughs> and they're talking about how all these cars are dirty. All the Mercedes are dirty. Mm-hmm. Um, so then they have to later on steal the cars from the dealership, which we'll get into. Or not the dealership, the police impound, um, which we'll get into. But then we see... They talk about how they're going to do it. And they're like, oh, well, I get we still have the old keys from the ones that are in the police impound. And they just leave the keys sitting on the table while they're deciding. And the dog that was shooting on the license plate just eats the keys. Three sets of laser cut Mercedes keys. Which um, apparently has never happened before for a dog that lives in an auto shop. Right. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. And so the next scene we see uh, Nick Cage's character and Angelina Jolie sitting in a car waiting for their chance to steal this Lambo, which was a really nice looking Lamborghini, by the way. Yeah. Um, and they basically are watching this couple like prepare to be intimate, I'll say. And uh, they start having their own like conversation that, about what's more exciting, stealing cars or having sex. Because they used to date. We right. find out they, 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 they were a couple at some point. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so she like straddles the shifter and starts like making out with him. And he starts like just saying random car parts. <laughs> just total. Okay. Like at first it made sense because he's talking about, well, if she says you wouldn't want to damage the shifter. He's like, yeah, you don't want to mess with the shifter linkages or the clutch master cylinder. But eventually like <laughs> he just starts naming random car parts that have no association with anything he's doing. And it just makes her more and more aroused until they, the, the people that they're watching have sex actually start having sex and then they go steal the car and leave him horny and wanting i'm assuming yeah yeah um which by the way the, the movie is rated it says you know nudity and really you get you just get a little bit of booty from the random couple yeah that's it that's it um so then the next scene is the two of the people from kip's gang trying to make this dog poop or like walk this dog and get it to poop. And this other gang, apparently, that they're on their turf. Another, another gang. Another, another gang yeah. shows up and they're like, get off our turf or whatever. And then the dog starts shitting. And one of the guys, the guy that was desperate to prove himself, like goes over and starts digging through the dog shit with like no gloves on or anything. And th- this gang member is like, oh, what's wrong with you, man? And then they all just leave him alone after that. Uh, it, that was pretty funny. 
Um, and so then, then we get the scene for the, where they're stealing the Mercedes from the impound. And they have this guy come in as a distraction for the like guard uh, mm-hmm. of the impound while they're like cutting through the fence and everything to get the cars out. And uh, <laughs> at one point, the guard turns around and like almost starts looking at the cameras and he distracts him by pulling a Barbie out of his pocket and making her think she's a brick house. Yeah. It's which so leads bad. to some questions. First of all, why was he carrying around a Barbie? Was uh, it just for this situation? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. He's like, of all the things I could bring to this track, this guard is going to be a Barbie. Where is, did he, did he just go to the store and buy a Barbie for this? Because he's never shown to have any daughters. There's never any young girls. Like you said, there's like two women in the whole movie. I mean, maybe he's got a family. I don't know. But they never established that. So no. he's just, he's just a creepy guy with a Barbie is all. Anyway, it was a pretty funny scene. It was. It was, it, was, it was. it was around this time that I realized how much different of a movie this would be if, if it was modern day. Yes. Because of the technology we have with cell phones and just like police technology, the internet. The internet was around at this point, but it was a much different internet than what we right. have now. Yeah. No, There are no smartphones. Right. right. This movie would be... Nobody had GPS you know, built into these cars or anything like that. I'd like, actually kind of like to see a remake of this movie done also with Nicolas Cage. Same cast and everything. Just but, want like a sequel? No, I want the I want a remake with the same okay. cast, but like with modern technology to see how they would handle this kind of a I guess kind of a job with like cell phones and internet. See, I, I say I say you do it as a sequel where where Eccleston's brother uh is a metal worker and he, he is mad that Nick he always hated wood. Yeah. No. <laughs> I mean, I, I would I would watch that too. I, got, I mean, we can cancel this the face off sequel. Let's just focus on this. Played um, by Eccleston, it's got to be played by the same guy. Yeah, you know, but he's got you know black hair, and uh, throughout know. this, we're seeing like a, a lot of cars being stolen, and I'm not yes. talking about every single one of them. Not but then we get 50. to this one. They get to this one where uh, it's, it's, I don't remember if it, I think this was the Escalade. Um, where it is like this one's like really decked out. It's got like bigger wheels lifted. I thought it was uh, a suburban, but I don't maybe see it a was. Suburban on it the was list. a GM product. I'm pretty sure. But was it the Yukon uh, then? Could have been. Um, but the car says Snake on the license plate. Oh, and, right, that one. Sorry, I was thinking about a different car. Yeah, yeah, and so they're like trying to steal this car, and the cops <laughs> show up, and the guy, what the, the the guy that was seen, she's a brick house with the doll before. So that that's the Humvee, by the way. That you're oh Humvee. About. Is I, that, I was thinking still a GM later. product, but yeah, yeah it's it, it it was a Hummer, and it was a big beast. But uh, yeah, there's an actual snake in the car, and they don't a realize legit, it. Like like a yeah, I don't know, like a, a boa, I guess, of some yeah. kind, yeah. Uh, reticulated python maybe i don't know i'm not a snake guy but (laughs) it was in the car they start freaking out and this cop it's like a it's like one of those they don't really have them much anymore but it's like a ramp that goes up like in the dark night they had one i think it's the same Um, parking garage probably probably (laughs) single ramp that goes all the way up and it's like really only wide enough for like one and a half cars Mm -hmm. um so it's inconvenient for everybody involved but the hummer is going down this ramp while the cop car is going up and so the Hummer just pushes, and I love this, because, I mean, that's what would happen. But the Hummer just, like, pushes this cop car all the way down. And then when they get out of the parking garage, you just see the snake, like, fly onto the cop car with, like, a really satisfying thud. Uh, and I love snakes. 
I love animals, but that was funny. That was I funny. also, as much as I love animals, I like seeing fake animals in a movie get thrown around. I don't know why. Well, because uh, like the, the whole scene's hilarious, though, because the guy in the passenger seat's like, the snake's going up my ass. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. That was so funny. Oh, I, I only wish that uh, Nick Cage had been driving instead <laughs> so that we could have gotten some, like, cagey stuff going on with that. Well, that's the thing. Like, it's Sphinx who's driving because he's partnered up with this guy, and Sphinx doesn't speak until the end of the movie. Yeah, exactly. So he's just a stone silent stoic type throughout the whole film. You know, that I guess that, that's that's the idea is these two are supposed to be, you know, opposites of each other. But. Yeah. So then the next car we see, which I'm gonna to touch on because it has plot relevance, kind of, is the one you were probably talking about. The I think is a Yukon where they go steal it out of somebody's garage. Yeah. But they ha- it's Kip's crew and they have like a stowaway with them of the guy that's supposed to do computer stuff, the nerd. Uh, that wants to go and steal cars but they won't let him and so he stows away with them and goes to help steal the car and of course running away from the cops he gets shot because you know he's going to that is so obvious that that's going to happen um and then that really doesn't have any plot relevance after that like he gets shot he gets back and they take him to the hospital yeah and then it's just kind of like forgotten about (laughs) it's it is really weird it just it kind of feels like padding for the movie and the movie's almost two hours it's an hour and 57 minutes the director's cuts over two hours and like this scene just feels like padding because nothing happens yeah that's true yeah they they, they do this whole scene at the doctor's office but he's gonna be fine right i guess guess you do have well okay you do have the point where atley explains to kip what's going on with his brother because kip like hates his brother memphis for leaving Right. And Atlee, yeah, but you could have done that scene without the guy 100%, getting shot. 100%. But that's so what it's really used for. Relevance. That's all. Yeah. Um, so then that's like car number 49, I think. And then uh... they, uh, then basically all that's left after that is Eleanor. Yeah. And so we get to see Memphis Reigns like lovingly seduce Eleanor and break into Eleanor. Um, and yeah, my next note is that's a beautiful car. It really is. It's a gorgeous car. It's in, it's in like, I love silver cars. That's just the thing for me. It's like, it just looks exactly like if I was going to buy that car, that's what I, that's the exact one that I would buy. You know, it's just, ah, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, and there's a pretty great chase scene that happens with this car. That's a good portion of basically the the climax of this movie. It's a long Um, chase. But the, the cops are driving a BMW, which I thought was interesting. The detective is. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, you don't really see a lot of BMW cop cars. You know, well, it's not even... it's, it's not a cop car because he's got one of those lights you have to put on the dashboard. So but I think it is a cop is... car because it's not his personal vehicle. Because he's driving it around all the time on the job. I don't know. I felt like it was supposed to be his car. Yeah, maybe. I just thought it was interesting because BMW does make police cars. They're not in America, though. They're not. They yeah. don't use them in America. Um, and so during this chase, there's some things that happen that you know are pretty extravagant in terms of damage, like cops slamming into things. At one point, a cop gets hit by like a wrecking ball and knocked through a wall. And these cops should definitely be dead from these what happens but it makes a point to show him like walking out every time something like this happens well and like that guy in particular like the movie's a little self-aware at this point you know they the the, the other cop uh you know t- timothy uh goes up to him, he's like are you all right you just went through a wall 
Yeah. <laughs> he actually says the line out yeah. loud, you know. And that's not the only one. There's a couple where it's like rollovers and like slamming into things really hard. And that, well, one, that... one cop car gets hit by a bus. Yeah. I um, mean, they would definitely be dead <laughs> in real life. I feel like there's not getting no getting away from But they, But if he was dead, then that would make Memphis a murderer. And they didn't want to do that. So. Right. Right. Um, so something I thought was interesting as an adult watching this movie that I didn't really notice as a kid um is that you never really see eleanor doing anything dangerous anytime there's something dangerous that happens it's always from the perspective of like a front bumper shot where you don't know what car it's on really or like a shot of nicholas cage driving mm -hmm. um there's a couple except like spots where you could say well they did this and that they there was a couple tiny spots but for the most part whenever you see like a wide shot of eleanor like in this chase it's always a good distance away from cop cars mm -hmm. and basically anything else that, that could be hit. And they did have several Eleanors for this movie, but I you could tell that it cost so much to build every one of them that they did not want to wreck these cars. Well, and I think also part of it is that most of them were not the right car. Right. Yeah. Right. They're, they, they were Mustangs, right? But they, they were, were more modern. They were different Mustangs that had to yeah. be built on top of and stuff. And I think that helped them kind of hide that a bit in, you know, kind of a, you know, not the CGI, CGI age that we have today. Right. right? Um, they needed to hide some of that. And I think they do a pretty good job of it um, because, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't want to wreck a real one. Right. And, and it is watching watching it back that I remember this chase being just like super amazing as a kid but then watching it back i'm like okay i mean it is really good don't get me wrong they don't really do chases like that anymore but um you you know the car that you want to see like do dangerous shit is never actually the car mm -hmm. that you see doing dangerous shit it, it's a it's a fun sequence you know because they, they add like like i said earlier right they get into a lot of shenanigans in this movie right you've got the snake Right. You've got the heroin car. Right. There's right. lots of like little shenanigans. And this is another one where like, you know, he's driving backwards going down this main, you know, throughway and a kid sees him, you know, as he passes and he waves at the kid, you know. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. You know? It is. It's a very fun sequence. Yeah. Um, but yeah, several cops should be dead, but it makes a point to show him not dead and whatever. It's fine. And then so the chase concludes on a bridge. Are we not going to talk about the jump? That's what happens. It happens on the bridge. Does it? Yes. Why do you think there's like only two lanes of traffic? It's on the bridge. I thought it was just construction. So uh, there's like a backup of traffic because of a wreck or something. There's like emergency crews. And the there's a tow, like a flatbed tow truck that's getting ready to tow a car that's been in a wreck. And they get Nick Cage's, you know, he gets stuck behind no, Memphis Reigns, gets stuck behind all of this construction. And the cops are on his tail. And the, yeah, there's one lane completely empty because of this wreck. And the guy, I guess, because of the things trying, it doesn't make any sense. I've never seen it, it work out that way in real life. But nobody's in the movie, that's what it is. Everybody's off. Everybody's being yeah, really polite. Everybody's polite. Um, so he has this <laughs> you know, very LA. clear uh, shot to this flatbed that is now at an angle like a ramp. And so he just guns it. And well, all the cops are behind him. Yeah. Right. And, with their and guns pointed at him. The detectives there is like reigns. <laughs> yeah. And so then he just takes off and you get this glorious CG Mustang, 2000 CG Mustang uh, flying through the air, extra shiny. There's like, they put extra like, what lens flares 
off the Mustang because it was so shiny. And I mean, it looks real bad, but it fun. Does. It, it is fun. Um, but yeah, it flies through the air. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't actual Eleanor that landed there that brought, busted out the suspension. But they did actually jump a car and smash the suspension on a car mm-hmm. for the because you, you see it flying through the air and then you just kind of see a smash cut to it like slamming into the ground. And it's a real car that slams into the ground. So, I mean, they definitely damaged the hell out of that car. But there's no traffic on the other side, of course, because the wreck is blocking all the traffic. So no car's coming. So he gets away and he shows up 14 minutes late or something. 12. 12 12 minutes minutes late. Um, And so he goes to talk to Raymond Kalitri and uh, convince him that, you know, it's fine. Everything's fine. You've got your cars, even though Eleanor was destroyed at this point, like the mirrors falling off and like it's just completely trashed. Um, And while he's talking to Raymond, you see like the the pickup thing for cars in the background, just pick up Eleanor and crush the top and like drop it into a big pile of cars. And um, look, I know it's not the real car, but it's still sad. It's meant to be sad because he has that relationship. <laughs> it's a character in the movie, essentially. But uh, then we get this wonderful line from Raymond Kalitri. Do you know the line I'm getting ready to say? No. It never rains, but it pours. Memphis in, in reference to Memphis Rains and Kip yeah, Rains. Yeah. Um, yeah, which was a, it's such a forced line. I, I thought line. you would get it. I thought you would hundred percent know that I was going there. I think I blocked it out. It's a bad line. Yeah, it's real <laughs> bad. And then he's we get like a little another KG moment where he's talking about how he's a little wired and a little tired. You know, he kind of goes off for there's like a split second where they let him just kind of do his thing. Um walking through the steel mill again those there's basically it ends up there's a shootout like there uh memphis is being chased by raymond kalitri and the cop uh shows up the police officer detective whatever shows up well hang on hang on hang on you're going too fast because you're missing the whole it's already been a long podcast so i'm trying to like long are we going long okay i'm trying to you know keep it somewhat all right, that's fair. But like, you know, the, the, about, I'm a little tired. I'm a little wired. It's very cagey, right? And then we get to hit the guy's Kalitri's office where he's got, you know, his chairs and stuff made of wood. And, you know, Kalitri's got a gun, but, you know, Memphis picks up one of the chairs and Kalitri's like, whoa, man. Oh, he's got a knife at that point. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Put, put the chair down. Put the chair down. Like, you know, and he, it's oh, like a hostage breaks, situation with yeah, the chair. And, you know, Memphis breaks the chair a little bit, you know, like it's all these shenanigans, right? We can't just have like a fight scene. It's got to have some shenanigans in it, you know? Yeah. And then, yes, then the, the shootout. Yeah. So then they're chased through the steel mill and th- just throughout this thing, there's like random sparks shooting out and like fire more fireballs. Very Terminator 2. <laughs> very Terminator 2, but very like, where the hell is OSHA? Maybe OSHA wasn't around in 2000, but there's a lot of workplace hazards there. <laughs> I would have a problem working there for sure. Um, yeah. And then like, the detective's there. Yeah. Right. And he's hunting down too, and he doesn't know who's shooting who, but he knows. Memphis. Memphis is here. Memphis is involved. And then Raymond Kalitri runs into the cop, the detective, and pulls, you know, has a gun pointed at him. And out of nowhere, Nick Cage comes and does like this WWE wrestling style double drop kick <laughs> to Raymond Kalitri over the rail. And he falls his diehard into, into the coffin that he made. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which is highlighted earlier in the film. Right. Foreshadowing. Yeah, they made, they Foreshadowing. made a point to show that earlier. Um, and yeah, so they arrest the kind of detectives like, well, I'm kind of at an impasse here. Like, you know, do I arrest ethical you? quandary? Yeah, ethical quandary. 
And long story short, he does not arrest Memphis. He arrests the other guy, and everybody's happy. And then there's a picnic. By the way, by the way, another parallel to Stolen is that you know the cop could arrest him, probably should arrest him, right? And instead, he's like, "Nah, I'm gonna let you go." <laughs> That's also a parallel with Joe. But he died in Joe. He did, but also remember the the cop is. There's, there's, he's like assaulting a cop, and then the cop just like let it, lets him walk away. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. he, there's a lot of police officers in his movies. Um, but then, yeah, then we get this uh, little picnic outside Otto's place. Yeah, the inspiration for the entire Fast and the Furious franchise. Pretty much, yeah, family. Uh, <laughs> and we see like Sway like hand feeding the guy that got shot, like Dude, licking, it, oh, licking his fingers yeah, for some reason. That goes too far. It was a little weird. It like, went from like kind of cute and sweet to like, okay, what are you doing? Listen, I have a lot of friends in my life and people I would consider family that aren't blood. But if one of them started like licking my fingers randomly, depending on who it was, I'd probably have a pretty big problem with it. Well, I mean, this was supposed to be like this younger kid. And she's like, you know, this hot, sexy car thief is like the paint, the picture that's supposed to be painted. here. Right, But they're all like family. I mean, are they? They just met. I mean, I don't know. After after this, he's from the new crew, you know, whatever. Anyway. It's still uh, weird. No, it's it's, it's very up. weird. It's very you. weird. And I would I would have a weird feeling if any of my friends did that. I was just being funny when I said most of my friends. Well, I'm not going to do it. Okay. Well, don't say never say never. Anyway, <laughs> we get the scene where you know any character that's silent through the whole movie. Yeah, you instantly know that by the end of the movie they're going to say something like really smart and like you know they're going to be very well spoken. And that's there's no exception with Sphinx. He has his little moment talking about how the sacrifice and how like any of us should be so lucky to be shot while doing this or something. I don't know. <laughs> and mean, then do, they, you want, do you want no, the quote? I don't. And they, then they, they I got it. Into, I, I'm aware I can get the quote too. I don't, we don't quote anything else to, to this movie. We don't need to be quoting that. Uh, we pull uh, into the, into the shop. Everybody's like, Oh, Memphis, you got to come into the shop. You got to come into the shop. And he goes in there, and uh, they rescued Eleanor. Apparently, even though the whole top of it was smashed in, they like already. Oh, that's a no, no. It's a different car. Is it okay? I I always thought it was meant to be like they pulled that car from the junkyard because he calls it Eleanor. I mean, it's this. So it's supposed to be a '67 GT 500. It's supposed to be the same kind of car, right? But it came from a junkyard because it's all rusty. Yeah, but it's not crushed or anything. It's just rusted out. Well, he runs a repair shop. He probably welded a new top to it. I don't know. I don't don't know. But he says that he like he bought it outright because Kip. Yeah, he says he sold the chopper to pay for it. Like he wouldn't have had to do that if he took it out of the junkyard. How much could that possibly cost? That Dotson I bought that I talked about earlier. I bought from a junkyard. So how much was it? Eight hundred. Okay. Like I mean, selling a, a whole motorcycle. I don't know. It just seems. Well, he's broke. I don't think it's that anyway. Mustang. I think it it's a different matter. Mustang. But yeah, he drives it off. But it's okay. Here's another argument for it's the same Mustang because when he goes to drive it away and it cuts to the black for the credits, it starts to die on him like the, like the other Eleanor right. did. But then and you're telling me that every '67 Mustang is like, no, I'm not going to run for this guy. Well, no, hang on a second though, because it's implied throughout the whole movie that every time he tries to steal one of these, it's a bad time. Everything goes wrong. Are we supposed to assume it's been the same yes. one each time? Yes. So he's been trying to steal the exact same Mustang yes. 
in LA for like 10 years. That's my take on it. I, I don't think it's ever actually established in the movie, but that's my take on it. It doesn't matter. We're not going to, let's not get into an argument about it. We're wasted enough time on it already. Okay. But yes, Derek's opinion is that it's every, that there's 167 GT500 Mustangs yep, running around this one city. Yep. All of them are in He's LA. tried to steal all of them except yep, for this that's one. That's what I said. Yep. Anyway, <laughs> now we need to rate the movie, right? <laughs> yes. So we have our cage meter We've got two scales quality and caginess zero to 20. Zero is low, 20 is high. Ryan, we're going to start with quality first. Where would you rate Gone in 60 Seconds? I don't know, man. This is a tough one because it's not really a great movie. No. It's, it's, it's a movie I really like. I will say as far as movies from around the year 2000 go, I think it holds up better than most from like a writing and humor perspective. Yes, it definitely is lacking on like women in the movie. Um, and there's a few, there's a few lines that are not great, but not like a lot. I don't even remember what they are. That's, you know, they're kind of few and far between. I'm just saying this isn't going to be in like the top hundred movies of all time. You know, no. it's, it's, it's good. It's not great. It's not like the best Nick Cage movie that we'll ever review. Um, I'm probably going to put it at around probably a 12 or a 13. Maybe that's too high. I don't know. I, I think it, I was going to give it a 12. Okay. So I'm not too far off. Yeah. It, it's, it's a really fun movie. It's significantly more entertaining than uh, a lot of the other movies we've watched. Um, it has its issues, but like just the sheer fun of it is enough to overcome those issues a lot for me. So, so are you giving it a 12 or a 13? I'll give it a 13 and you a can 13. give it a 12. We'll put okay. it at 12 and a half. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, cause like, I think it's, it's also lighter. It's not quite as heavy or serious, even though obviously there's high stakes. It's just a more enjoyable movie compared to a lot of what we've watched so far, even though, like, you know, some of the good stuff has been, you know, heavy. Right. Um, you know, uh, leaving Las Vegas, for example, like yeah. it's a great movie, but I don't want to sit down and watch that again. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> um, all right. So caginess, caginess. Now there's, there's clearly moments, right? We've talked about them, right? There's several moments in the movie that are cagey, but it's not like way out there either. So, I mean, I'm thinking from a caginess standpoint, maybe like, I'm thinking. Are like, you looking at other movies that we've given? I us? am. Yeah. Okay, I've got, I've got our scores up. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking about things over time. So I have to kind of put it in there and I'm thinking like a nine. Yeah. I was thinking like a 10. So I think okay. that we're going to be right, right where we're supposed to be. Okay. Cause you know, that kind of puts it like right around. It could happen to you just below the family man. Yeah. Um, I think he was definitely cagier in the family man. Right. So Same with Moonstruck. Yeah. Oh yeah. Big time. You know? Okay. Okay. Cool. So then there you have it. So it's a 12 and a half out of 20 for quality and a nine and a half out of 20 for caginess. Now, last bit of business, we have our wheel O cage that has 18 Nicholas cage movies on it. And it determines what movie we're going to watch next. So gone in 60 seconds is no longer on the wheel. So we have to determine what movie is going to join the wheel and the movie that will be joining the wheel is Industrial Symphony Number no. One: The Dream of the Broken Hearted, which is a TV movie, if I remember right, that is his very first. Uh, right. No, it's not. I I apologize. The Best of Times is a TV movie that was his first. Uh, this one's a little bit later, um, but 
Yeah. So that is what is joining the wheel. Okay. So to find out what movie we'll be talking about next, go to comingofcage.com to watch us, watch our spin of the wheel. Okay. For episode 19, Ryan, anything else for gone in 60 seconds? Nope. If you're a car guy, watch it. If you haven't already, but it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, if you're not a car guy, well, you'll probably still like it. It's just, uh, you know, going to not, not have as many deep cuts for you. Yeah. Beautiful cars, fun popcorn flick. There you have it. All right. Well, this has been the coming of cage podcast coming of cage.com or at coming of cage. I'm Derek. That was Ryan. We'll be back in two weeks. Thanks for listening.